0: Hours after his followers stormed the Capitol on Wednesday and he later called them special people whom he loved, President Donald Trump promised there will be an orderly transition of power as Joe Biden takes over as the next president. So far, though, it's been anything but orderly. This weekend, we'll hear some expert opinions on what's happened, what it means, and what may happen next. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The past week has given us a lot to talk about, but then we've been discussing a lot of these issues for the last four years, and I am fortunate to be joined by two of the people who have helped us understand the political and constitutional twists and turns that we've experienced. Constance Mixon is a professor of political science and director of the urban studies program at Elmhurst University. And uh, David Applegate is a trial lawyer and partner at the firm of Williams, Montgomery & John. He heads the intellectual property group. He's also the legal affairs advisor for the Heartland Institute. Uh, We continue to practice social distancing. So we're having this discussion via Zoom conferencing, and it's great to see you both again. Connie, you may not know this, but for the first two years of the Trump administration, David joined us for reviews of the president and his relationship with the Constitution. And there was a whole lot to talk about. So David Applegate, how does a man who always carries a copy of the U.S. Constitution with him feel while watching the Capitol building under siege?
1: I think this is a great national tragedy, Craig, but I've been around long enough. To know that we have seen extraordinary things in our lifetime. This is a very vibrant, contentious nation. In my lifetime, I have survived a president being shot and killed, John F. Kennedy, a presidential candidate shot and killed, Robert F. Kennedy, a president shot at and missed, Gerald Ford, a president shot at and hit but not killed, Ronald Reagan. We've now seen two presidents impeached, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, of course, we saw a president not stand for reelection who could have the incumbent Lyndon Johnson in 1968, which was another tumultuous year. And we saw a Nixon, President Nixon resign under threat of impeachment. Uh, But I have to say, even against that background, this is one of the, the saddest days uh, in, in American history, to watch people actually storm the Capitol, break in, loot, uh, go on a spree—that is all too reminiscent of the carnage that we witnessed uh, during the whole COVID shutdown and the protests of the spring and the summer. Uh, both sides need to get a grip agree to stop attacking each other verbally and otherwise, look at what we have in common and move forward. Or else we are not going to have uh, the the great goal of this country, which is e pluribus unum out of many one. And I think all of us right, left, center, uh, inside, outside, alt-right, radical Marxists, really need to sit back, take stock of where we are, de-escalate the rhetoric uh everybody calm down recognize that there is going to be an orderly transition of power in less than 2 weeks if we allow that to happen but if we continue to ramp up things it is it is going to get worse and 2021 is going to make 2020 which we all agreed was a disastrous year look good in hindsight
0: Constance Mixon, uh, you told us this week that you were teaching a political science class as the violent protest was taking place. And that basically it it taught some lessons in and of itself. Talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. um, The thing about Wednesday, though, is that in many ways it was predictable and, and preventable. Just this last weekend, 10 of our living former Secretaries of Defense sent out, sent out a warning to the American people. And I agree with David that we have got to do a lot to lower the temperature it is abundantly clear that our system of government can fall prey to populist authoritarianism and as i was teaching my class on wednesday um it was the first day of class and i was teaching about democracy and i was talking about how in a democracy The citizens and our elected officials share a common commitment to basic values and that political competitors don't necessarily have to even like each other, but we have to tolerate one another and we have to acknowledge that each has a legitimate and important role to play and the basic ground rules of our political life, of society, must encourage tolerance and civility and public debate. And when an election is over, the losers accept the judgment of the voters. And if the incumbent party loses, it turns over power peacefully. And A representative democracy depends on this trust of the collective decisions of elections. And no matter who wins, we all have to come together to cooperate in solving the big problems that face us. And heaven knows we have enough of them to deal with. And as an educator, I think I'm sort of hardwired to find those teachable moments. And that is what I am trying to find. In this time that we're living through today.
0: I do want to address the underlying motivation of the people who were there in Washington because a political morning consult poll after the election found that some 70% of Republicans said they didn't believe the presidential election was free or fair. And that says a lot about how public perceptions can be shaped by political rhetoric, but when you have an underlying distrust in the very basis of our government, what does that do to democracy? I mean, we're talking about people who who felt that they were patriots who were defending democracy. What happens when we take out the foundation from underneath? Uh, David.
1: Well, I, obviously, Craig, what happens is what uh, Benjamin Franklin. Famously, if apocryphal, he said to the passerby who asked him at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, what form of government did you people come up with? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. When we lose faith in our electoral processes, we lose our constitutional republic. It's as simple as that. But we have to recognize that this did not begin. It's not going to end with Donald Trump is probably as old as uh, Cain and Abel and uh, who hit whom with the rock first and the rest of it. But looking back just the last 20 years in American political history, uh, in fact, a little bit further than that, uh, 32 years, it's been 32 years since the National Democratic Party has accepted as legitimate the election of a Republican for president, and that was George Herbert Walker Bush Uh, in 1988, who was Ronald Reagan's vice president, been headed the CIA, ambassador to China, wonderful resident, genuine war hero. Uh, He got voted out of office in 92 by President Clinton. Uh, Of course, Clinton occupied the office for eight years. Barack Obama, again, had two terms, eight years, but in, 2000, we had a highly contested election in which George W. Bush won by a very narrow margin. Florida one electoral vote in the Electoral College. Some Democrats today, including at least one Chicago congressman I could name but won't, uh, still refuse to accept that George W. Bush was legitimately elected, and to be fair to Donald Trump. Uh, For four years, the opposition has said he is not a legitimate president. And I I won't bore listeners with all the claims that have been made against him, everything from uh, rumored tapes about prostitutes in a Moscow hotel room, to being a Russian agent, to the, the heads of the CIA and the FBI at the time, literally lying to Congress about him. So when you When you say for four years, when you say for 20 years, when it's been literally a generation, 32 years since 1988, that one party has refused to accept as legitimate the election of another party. Uh, When you have an election like this under COVID conditions in in which many states, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt, trying to do their best, make these mail-in systems work but with voter rolls that have not been cleaned up in years. Anecdotal evidence of people getting ballots mailed to their, their dead mother's name, uh, to, to children who no longer live there, to people who are registered in more than one state. That just lays the groundwork, provides the fodder for the, the theory that the election was stolen. And again, we, we've heard this from both sides. Uh, we can go back to uh, the, the election of 1876 with, with Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes, still very controversial. Uh, we need to dial this down again. You can't have one party saying this person is entirely illegitimate. And then when that person's supporters say, wait a minute, we're not convinced either. Because according to a, an NPR PBS, NewsHour, Marist survey of something like 1,095 registered voters. The total is 39% of Americans, uh, including one third of independents do not believe this was a free and fair election. So somehow we have got to reform our system. Uh, Law professor Jonathan Turley at, at George Washington University suggests we need a real election commission that will look into this over the next couple of years. But this is a problem that pervades all sides of the
0: Connie Mixon, um, it seems to me that there is a difference between the rhetoric of people saying that they're not accepting uh, someone as their president and a fir- and an actual action, because even though there are people who thought George W. Bush wasn't really elected government went on and people i mean congress members went to congress and voted and did not say this isn't our you know this isn't our president they may have been resentful but and i will have to i will have to give uh, connie credit for the, the the line of the day when we were talking on our on our air where you were looking at all of this and saying, but this is how democracy dies when the feelings get to the point where people are actually in danger. Uh, What's your concern about this, this distrust of government and how far it can go?
2: You're exactly right. And although there may have been some that didn't accept the Bush presidency after 2000, Democrats didn't order their supporters to seize the the U.S. Capitol. And this particular president has, in my view, been waging a war against our democracy since before he even took office in 2016. We can go back to the birther movement and the constant attacks against President Obama. As a candidate, he encouraged his supporters to rough up Protesters at his rallies, even saying that he would pay their legal fees. And at the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, the president said there were very fine people on both sides. After the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the resulting Black Lives Matter protests, the president actually tweeted that when the looting starts, the the shooting starts, and he continues to refer to even peaceful protesters as thugs. In Lafayette Square this past summer, law enforcement used tear gas and batons to clear peaceful protesters so the president could walk across the street and hold a Bible upside down in front of St. John's Church. He even told, during a debate with Joe Biden, he told the Proud Boys to stand down and stand by These are just a handful of examples of the president attacking our democracy. And he continually, this is what is important. He continues to fail. He does not repudiate. He fails to repudiate the acts of violence from people who are supportive of his presidency. And in a democracy, we look to our leaders. Words matter and what happened on wednesday is the culmination of a lot of lies and conspiracy theories and inflammatory rhetoric that has that's come from the president and i am concerned about our democracy as an american and as a political scientist who teaches it i fear for the erosion of our democracy and you know david's right not all of this is the responsibility of President Trump. Our, we have, our electorate has become increasingly polarized over the last few years. And good people have to come together to figure out what we are going to do to address that.
1: Greg, I'd like to correct or supplement a, a couple of points. Uh, First of all, in January 2017, just four years ago, in case no one remembers, uh, there were millions of marchers on them Mall. Many of them wearing these little pink knitted hats, uh, the screaming that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. If, if we wanna talk about lies, let's talk about the, the lies that uh, James Comey spread and helped infiltrate the things that John Brennan said, the, the whole Russian collusion scandal, And as far as uh, people not accepting George Bush but not doing anything about it, um, I'd like to call people's attention to the fact that in January of 2005, and this was George W. Bush's reelection, a Democratic representative by the name of Stephanie Tubbs joined by a Democratic Senator named Barbara Boxer both filed, Uh, written objections to the state of Ohio electors saying that that state had been stolen for George Bush, thereby invoking the procedures under which both houses adjourned separately, debated whether to accept Ohio state of electors or not, then reconvened and reported their votes. Now it lost 31 to 267 in the House, but that means 37 elected representatives in Congress uh, chose not to accept the Republican slate of electors for George Bush. Only one Senator did and that was Barbara Boxer. Finally, I don't think anyone can find anything on tape, Twitter or elsewhere in which President, Trump has said, I want you to go and riot and loot the Capitol. People are saying his actions incited this. Um, most of these protesters, just like the protesters four years ago, all over the mall wearing their little pink hats, were peaceful. Many had gone home before a group broke into the Capitol. It is certainly deplorable. The president could have handled this much, much better. But I think the more we demonize this guy, the more we energize the people who are the most radical and are going to be the most extreme, because they have watched this for nine straight months and seen very few consequences to any of the
0: You're listening to News Radio 780s at issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking about the aftermath of this past week's storming of the Capitol and the repercussions for the government and maybe democracy. Our guests are attorney and constitutional expert David Applegate and Elmhurst University political science expert Connie Mixon. I actually want to turn to something that's kind of an outgrowth of this uh, very briefly, uh, and that is. At this point, there are a lot of calls from both sides of the aisle for the president to be removed from office, uh, whether through invoking the 25th Amendment or by impeachment, um, with only two weeks to go in his term. Uh, Connie Mixon, is it wise or practical?
2: Thanks, Craig. I, I do think it's important to at least just acknowledge that people exercising their first amendment rights to assemble and free speech and peaceful protest is not the equivalent of mob action that we saw on Wednesday. When it comes to the 24th amendment or other actions that might be taken, yes, I fully believe there has to be accountability. Um, we have to send a strong signal that this will never happen again in the United States. And that no person, even the president is above the law And we cannot, you know, I hear a lot of hemming and hawing, and we cannot be afraid to make decisions based on what the politics might be. And it's clear to me and thousands of my political science colleagues from across the country, we have all signed on to an open letter calling for the president's immediate removal, as we believe that his words and actions demonstrate that he is unwilling and and unable to fulfill his oath to protect and defend the Constitution. Um, You know, the quickest way to get there would be for Vice President Pence and the cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment. Not clear whether that's gonna happen or not. Um, We may see just before we recorded, I was hearing that at least House Democrats are looking to move as quickly as next week on um, articles of impeachment.
0: Um, and David Applegate, I want to because in the years that we've uh, we've been talking, uh, we've often talked about the, the use the term guardrails. And I want to ask about this because two weeks impeachment took months when, you know, it always does. Um, the 25th Amendment requires the majority of the cabinet, many of whom are resigning even as we speak. Uh, what are the guardrails within Government at right now to prevent any kind of outrageous actions on the part of a sitting president, if any.
1: I, I'm not sure what your, uh, sort of outrageous actions the president could take at this point. He's uh, obviously not going to uh, push the red button. I have to know a few things about that. Uh, as an aging Air Force brat who's studied this a fair amount, but just the number of confirmation codes people would have to go through, that's not going to happen. He's not going to declare war on anybody. Uh, There is very little he could do with executive orders that he's not going to do. I think a lot of this is fantastical talk that is fed by... The deep vitriolic personal hatred of Donald Trump because of his personality, because of very strong objections to many of his policies, because of the way he does talk. I I think I said in one of our first get togethers uh, several years ago, and I hope the FBI uh, doesn't take this seriously, but I wish they would have cut off his Twitter finger a long time ago. Uh, th- th- there is nothing he can do or will do between now and the end of his term that is any kind of threat to our republic. He may issue some more controversial pardons on the way out the door, but uh, presidents do that all the time. I think impeachment would be a very serious mistake. Uh, first of all, because it would invite retaliates, that kind of retaliation Republicans have the House and the, and the Senate back which they undoubtedly will do at some point, if not in the Biden administration at some future point. Uh, second, the minute the House would vote for impeachment, the president could announce his resignation and Vice uh, then President Pence could pardon him. And finally, uh, as far as the 25th, not the 24th amendment goes, it says uh, it's based on the inability of the president to discharge the powers and duties of his office. So you can look at that two ways. Uh, if, if he's helpless, if he can't do anything, then there's no reason to get a bit of him. And if the the only other thing you could say is that he is incompetent, he's unable to do this, and that's just not going to happen. I think it further inflamed the body politic if you think his supporters or some of them were upset this time then i i think we all should be very concerned about what would happen with a second impeachment of a president who after all garnered 74 or 75 million votes the most of any incumbent president in united states history
0: Uh, I want to ask about one more thing because we are running out of time. Uh, And that is to go back to something that both of you were talking about at the beginning of this discussion. And that is how do we stabilize the ship given the vitriol on both sides, given the fears on both sides, given that there's a portion of the population that believes it's defending this country from a takeover of, of, of radicals. How do we stop and get people to start talking and working together um connie i'll let you go first
2: you know i think it's the civic responsibility of our lifetimes to do undo the damage that has been done not just by this president but by his enablers and by What has happened to our society where we have people that so easily believe conspiracy theories and blindly follow radicalized individuals without any evidence? And what is it that has led them to believe that our entire system is corrupt. I mean, that's something we have to look at ourselves and the arguing, and I will give David this, from both sides, From both sides, it's gonna require us coming together, but I firmly believe that those that have led the charge to delegitimize this election have got to start, they've got to start telling the truth and they have got to tell these supporters um, that they were wrong. And that the election was a legitimate election, and you know that the place to take this out is at the ballot box.
0: David Applegate, what's uh, what's your solution? Uh, and and I'm speaking as a member of the uh, what would be called the mainstream media on <laughs> uh, on social media, and and frankly, we've been kind of demonized too and people aren't believing what we say because they can go to a Newsmax or some other place and be told that everything we're saying is a lie.
1: Well, that, that feeds exactly into my answer, Craig, because I'd like to make a very radical suggestion. And that is that we all start talking to one another in person uh, about politics and about political issues with people with whom we do not agree. And it's been a commonplace throughout my lifetime, there are certain things you're never supposed to discuss at a dinner party, uh, sex, religion, and politics. Well, as I like to say, nobody stops talking about sex now, we don't talk about religion, and we don't talk about politics. But among the fundamental questions of who we are, where we come from, why we're here, where we're going and how we get there, The one over which we can actually have an influence is how we get there. And so instead of saying, when you find out that the the people you meet at a dinner party uh, voted for a candidate on the other side of the aisle, instead of saying, well, we, we better not talk about politics, ask the question, why? What did you see in this person? What do you like about their policies? Where do you think I'm wrong in where I'm coming from? What interests do we have in common? Because, again, among those fundamental questions, that the one over we, which we have the greatest influences is how do we get there? And we all know we don't like where we are right
0: now. That is going to have to be the final word. I'd like to thank Elmhurst University political science expert Constance Mixon and attorney David Applegate from Williams, Montgomery & John for spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or he- to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.